Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts the Apostles, Acts the Apostles, chapter 19, and let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1. And it came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not as so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now this is a very interesting piece of scripture because it gets quoted and cited by Charismatics and Pentecostals to affirm the so-called second blessing. But let's start back in verse 1. It says how Apollos was at Corinth and Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus. Paul was certainly a traveller, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, but it's worth commenting on again. He wasn't sitting around writing encyclopedias, he was doing something. And we know from the term gospel, the first two words are go, G-O. You're told to go, you're told to do something. And here, Paulus is at Corinth and Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, finding certain disciples. If you are saved, you are a disciple. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? It's a funny question to ask somebody. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you are saved? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now ask yourself this. If this group of people were Jews, they would have known who and what the Holy Ghost was. But if they were Gentiles, then I would expect them to ask Paul or to, to reply to Paul with such a response. In other words, they would say, we haven't heard whether there was or whether there is a Holy Ghost. Because Gentiles would be ignorant of the third member of the Godhead. So I think this response is probably coming from the mouths of Gentiles. Three, and he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. They've got to be Gentiles. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people left, right and center. Luke chapter 4, he has a group of Roman soldiers coming to his baptism. And they were certainly have been Gentiles. He was baptizing hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people over a period of time. And yet somehow this group of people have fallen through the rocks. They've fallen by the way. They have somehow have got lost in the system. But let's read and try and tie these verses together. For Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John's baptism was simply to prepare people for the coming Messiah. He would tell the Pharisees to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. He wanted people to truly humble themselves in order to be saved. And that's why if you come to the Saviour to be saved, you should come broken. You should be remorseful. You should see yourself as filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, verse 6. You should repent in sackcloth and consider yourself no more than dust and ashes. There's an account in the Gospel of Luke when Simon Peter comes into the presence of the Lord Jesus and he says to the Lord, depart from me, I am a sinful man. And I think when we come into presence with deity, when we first came to the presence of the one true God, when we arrive in eternity and we stand in the presence of the one true God, we're going to be so awestruck. Those sinless eyes looking straight through us. We're going to want to just run for cover. But thankfully we have Christ's imputed righteousness. But here, 
Paul is telling this group of people that John's baptism was the baptism of repentance, preparation for the coming Messiah, that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. That term Christ Jesus, from the best of memory, is only ever used by the Apostle Paul. Christ being Messiah, Jesus being Saviour. Look at verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptised with the authority of the Lord Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptised by total immersion in the name, with the authority of the Lord Jesus. And yet, if you speak to those in the oneness community, they will ask you, were you baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus? And I would say no. I was baptised in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So when it says to be baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's simply speaking about with the authority of the Lord Jesus. I come in the name of the King, meaning I come with the authority of the King. When I speak in the name of the King, I have his authority. Let's keep reading on. 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. But unlike Acts 18.8 concerning the Corinthians, it says how they believed and were then baptized. They don't speak in tongues. They don't prophesy. So what is going on here from 19.1 down to 6? But let's look at verse 7. And I will try and put all these verses together. And all the men were about 12. So you've got a group of men, not women. You've got quite possibly Gentile men that have met John the Baptist, Matthew 3, Luke 4, have been baptised by John, and yet they are not yet Christians. They went away, did their own thing, and yet they haven't heard about the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, much like we read last time from Acts 18.24 concerning a man called Apollos. It says he was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures, but he only knew the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John, chapter 18, verse 25. And it speaks about a couple called Aquila and Priscilla, six, uh, 26, excuse me, who came across this man speaking boldly in the synagogue, and they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Personal discipleship. Now today, we use the word of God to build people up in the Lord. But here... The New Testament hasn't yet been written in its entirety. So you've got progressive revelation. You've got different groups of people who have been given more responsibility, more wisdom. And here, Apollos is the type of person being cited here from chapter 19 down to 7, who needs to be tweaked, who needs to be discipled, but more importantly, who needs to be personally introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got Twelve men, or about twelve men, as Dr. Luke carefully tells us. But Paul laid his hands upon them, verse 6, and the Holy Ghost came on them. But unlike the Corinthians, in chapter 18, 8, Paul doesn't lay his hands on anybody. And unlike the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8, no one laid their hands on him. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't prophesy. Unlike the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, no one laid their hands on him. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't prophesy. So you see, you've got to be so careful when you read Acts of the Apostles. And if you are a student of Scripture, as I am, you've got to tread so carefully. 
because most of what we are reading in Acts of the Apostles was just for a certain group of people during a certain period of time. But I guess for me, reading these verses this morning, I am somewhat alarmed because Acts 19, according to the very helpful dating of James Usher, was around 54 AD. 54 AD. She got 24 years after the Lord's return to heaven. And you got a group of people, no doubt, loving the Lord, worshipping the Lord, and yet they are so ignorant of the Lord. And I've known Christians that have been saved 15, 20 years, who, by their own mouths, were completely ignorant about the things of the Lord. And that's why you were told to study, to show yourself approved unto the Lord. You were told to rightly divide the word of truth. So you've got a group of people that were baptised, were probably Gentiles, and yet are not yet Christians. Hence why Paul asks them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Paul could detect they weren't yet Christians. They were technically under the old covenant. Like Apollos, chapter 18, 24, going down to 25, 26, 27, 28. And therefore it's time to introduce them to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. What you can't get from these verses is a so-called second blessing. And if somebody ever says to you, have you been baptized by the Holy Ghost? What they're really asking you is, do you speak in tongues? And you should say, no, I am a Bible-believing Christian. My identity is hid with God in Christ. Colossians 3, I spend no time whining about Acts of the Apostles. I'm not in that transitional period. I'm now in the period of the New Covenant. In fact, we were told from Ephesians 4 how we've been baptized once into the body of Christ. And that came the moment we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, certain people would receive certain blessings from the Lord, if you will. Certain people would speak in tongues, while others wouldn't. And I challenge anybody listening to me this morning to show me one verse in Acts of the Apostles where a woman spoke in tongues. You won't find it. Certain men were blessed to speak in tongues, which would be known languages. And we saw that very clearly from Acts chapter 2. And they were given the gift of speaking in tongues to publicly rebuke unbelieving Israel. And yet it is possible, I must say this, it is possible that this group of men around 12 could be Jews. They could be ignorant Jews. They could have been raised in almost secular households like Timothy. His father was an unsaved Greek, but his mother was a Jew. And Timothy wasn't circumcised because his father wasn't interested in religion. His father probably kept Timothy at home. Maybe his mother would go to the synagogue privately, or maybe she wouldn't. Maybe she went up to the temple three, six times a year for the feast days. Maybe she didn't. But either way, Timothy was at a disadvantage. And that's why Paul took Timothy to circumcise him, because the Jews knew that he was a Jew. But he may have been very ignorant of his own religion. So it is possible that such a group of people here are Jews. And that would explain why they are speaking in tongues. Because the Jews require a sign. The Jews are entitled to a sign. In fact, Acts 2, if you read it carefully, you've got 12 apostles and by that stage you've got Matthias who has replaced Judas and you've got 12 different known languages given to each of the 12 apostles and they are speaking in known languages to unbelieving Jews from around the world and that's why they were shocked that the apostles predominantly from Galilee were speaking in their own languages so I think these verses are pretty much concerning a group of men probably Gentile if you were to tie me down but possibly Jews more likely to be Gentiles and Paul is going to treat them. But if I was to take an application from these verses and apply it to us today, I would say this, that you've got people who are religious, you've got people who have responded to John's baptism, 
and yet for some reason they've slipped to the net, if you will. Something has gone wrong, they are ignorant as to the true meaning or identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why it's imperative to make your calling and election sure, and more importantly, it's imperative to read the Word of God each and every day. And that's why Paul has approached them and laid his hands on them. But one more time, no one laid their hands on the eunuch, no one laid their hands on the Philippian jailer, and no one laid their hands on the Corinthians. Chapter 18, verse 8, concerning Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, to be precise. But let's move on. I may come back and offer some more thoughts to these verses. Look at verse 8 from chapter 19, please. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is physical and spiritual. And for those of us which are saved, we are in the spiritual kingdom of God. But one day we will be in the physical kingdom of God, which will be on the earth for 1,000 years. On top of that, we will be part of the New Jerusalem. And I think it's fair to say that our mansions will be in the New Jerusalem. And during the 1,000-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be wherever he is. Now, we are told he will be on the earth for 1,000 years, ruling and reigning. And we're going to be with him. But keep in mind this, that... How you live after you are saved will determine what rewards will be given to you at the judgment seat of the Lord. But more specifically, it says how he went into the synagogue. He's a Jew. He's going to preach to his own people. And one more time, you can't take these verses to uh, affirm Saturday worship. We are Bible believers. We are worshiping the Lord today, the first day of the week. But here, Paul is a Jew going into a local synagogue. And it says how he spake boldly for the space of three months. He would have been invited in to the synagogue to preach to them. And I keep saying this, I'll say it again. If you were to try and go into a typical synagogue today, I put it to you that you wouldn't get past the front door because the Jews are very suspicious of Gentiles. On top of that, you're not one of them. You are a Christian. You're not a Jew. And the, uh, the Jewish Sabbath, according to Nehemiah, chapter 9 was given to the children of Israel. We are the church. We're the body of Christ. So when it says he went, he, uh, when it says he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God, it means just that he went in, and only he went in. You were never told to do the same thing. Let's keep reading on nine. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. Disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. He got Professor Paul. And it says how he has separated the disciples. Now we get born again. We are put into the body of Christ. And then we are told to separate from the world. And yet the exception has to be your family. The exception has to be your workplace. But that's it. Apart from your family and your workplace. You should be separated from the world. You should be consecrated. And he got a different type of separation. You got a separation from those that haven't believed but spake evil of that way before the multitude they are speaking evil of the christian church of the early christian community and this is typical when you come across people who are not saved and feel threatened by the message they kick against it they start to insult it but here you got a chap called tyrannus who is affiliated to a local school in ephesus being modern day turkey and paul is disputing daily in this particular place. We're not told much about this uh, person, Tyrannus, or this school that he was affiliated to, but no doubt Paul was invited to go in and use his premises to debate or dispute. 
or preach. And I guess this does go into the subject of apologetics. And sometimes it's good to use apologetics to debate and to further expound the scriptures. Other times it's not particularly helpful. I mean, for example, if I was to speak to a typical Gentile on the street who's not saved, I wouldn't necessarily use apologetics. I'd probably use the Ten Commandments to break him or her down to show them they're no good, that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if I was to speak to a typical Jew or Catholic or Muslim on the street, then I would probably use apologetics to show them from the word of God that Christ is a Messiah, that he calls all men everywhere to repent, and if they believe on him, they can and will be saved. Look at verse 10, please. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. He's there for two years, preaching in a school in Ephesus, and it says how the Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord Jesus. This must have been such an amazing time. You've got the apostles preaching to people, folks getting saved, probably in their thousands. But ask yourself this, why are they getting saved? Look at verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Because he got the sign gifts, you see. The apostles could do miracles. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't do that today. And I challenge anybody listening to this broadcast to try and duplicate this. To try and reproduce this. To try and get anywhere near this. And people say, well, I can do miracles. Okay, go into your local hospital and start on the children's ward. Start laying hands on blind children, deaf children, children of lost limbs. Then go into the cancer ward, go into the diabetes ward, go into the uh, hospice, go into into the uh, cemetery, start raising the dead. You can't do it, and you're kidding yourself if you think you can. But here it says, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And I've heard of Benny Hinn and Joyce Mayer and uh, Kenneth Hagen. And some of those wicked reprobates trying to use this piece of scripture and asking their people to send money for handkerchiefs they prayed over or aprons they prayed over to somehow receive a blessing. Such an abomination. And the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. This is unique to Paul. And I say this because later on you will read about a man called Trophimus who was sick at the point of death. And it says how God and God himself took mercy upon him. You're reading, I think it's First Timothy, how Timothy was sick. He had an ulcer. And Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for thine often infirmities. Paul doesn't pray over Timothy. Paul doesn't call for St. Peter, the first Pope of Rome, to come and pray over Timothy. Timothy was sick and he had to take wine for his ulcer. On top of that, you've got Paul almost blind before he died. And he doesn't call for the church in Jerusalem to come up and pray for his eyesight to improve. In fact, he would tell us from Second Corinthians chapter 12, I think it is, how he prayed to the Lord three times to take the thorn out of his flesh. And he, tells, he, would, he would tell us how that came from the devil to buffet him. And I think that was probably in reference to his eyesight. He was a scholar. He liked to read. And he would write 14 epistles if we give him Hebrews. 
and therefore to lose his sight almost must have been torturous. And the Lord says, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. So I think when we take all these verses together, we see the church starting with miracles, left, right, and center to affirm the apostles' credentials. Such men would write the New Testament, and that in itself is the greatest gift after new birth that God has given to us, the word of God. And that's why you were told to take the sword of the Lord. That's why you were told to put the full armor of God on. It's a scripture, you see. But here, Paul allowed by the Lord to dispense handkerchiefs or aprons. I would think probably via his disciples. He couldn't be everywhere at once. And such handkerchiefs and aprons, which either he prayed over or the Lord had blessed in a way that we don't quite understand, were given out to those that were diseased, that were ridden with diseases, and evil spirits went out of them. I can't stress how this time was unique to the early church. And I I gave you some scripture some weeks ago when uh, Judas hung himself and the church came together and they had a church conference and they decided to replace Judas with Matthias. And yet I showed you from Acts 12 some weeks ago when James, the son of Zebedee, was murdered by Herod, how the church didn't replace him. You see, within 12 chapters, you've got one group of apostles replacing Judas with Matthias. And yet when James is murdered, martyred, put to death publicly by Herod, nobody replaces him. And I showed you that when Peter was incarcerated, Acts 10, I think it was, and also Paul was incarcerated, Acts 16, the Lord on both occasions stepped in and set them both free. He brought the walls down literally in Acts 16. And when the Philippian jailer, The following day realized that such damage would cause his death. The Lord miraculously put the walls back up. And yet later on, when Paul is detained, the Lord doesn't set him free. You see, you were called to suffer. And that's why I keep saying this book is progressive. Different people are going to receive different blessings. 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. You've got a group of vagabond Jews, exorcists. That term exorcist, we use it today. There's a film made back in the 70s called The Exorcist. The Catholic Church believe they can do exorcisms. There are some Anglicans who believe they can do exorcisms. But it says how a certain group of vagabond Jews, this is fascinating, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus, saying, we adjure you, by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. Copycat exorcists. And the problem here is they haven't got the authority to do what they're going to attempt to do. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. You've got a chief Jew getting in on the act here. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? Just imagine that. This evil spirit is now speaking back to this group of vagabond Jews. And I don't uh, advocate speaking to unclean spirits. I don't like the idea of even coming near the devil. I think he's far more powerful than we realize, and sometimes we make light of him. Sometimes we don't take him seriously enough. I think sometimes we get puffed up in our flesh. You know, we think that we're something uh, special. We are redeemed. And yet this unclean spirit, this evil spirit, questions him. And he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And I will take this verse and conclude with this verse and I will apply it with this particular application I will say this that if you're born again the devil knows you 
Demons know you, unclean spirits know you, which is a great blessing. And yet that is a great responsibility as well. But who are ye? I don't know you. You have no right to do this. And this must have been quite a shock for this group of exorcists, this chief priest. And I'll read next week what happens to this particular group of people. But I'll say this very briefly. Don't mess around with the occult. Don't mess around with the devil. Don't mess around with the spirits of darkness. Never underestimate the devil and his minions because he is far more powerful than you could ever imagine. But I'm just going to wrap up this message from verse 1 down to 15 and further cement my earlier comment that you can't get these verses to teach a second blessing. In fact, there's no such thing in scripture, the so-called second blessing. The nearest you can get to the so-called second blessing would be in reference to speaking with boldness, speaking the word of God with great confidence to be holier and more consecrated. But if you're born again, if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were baptized into the body of Christ the moment you believed on him. There's no second blessing. But I will say this, that if you believed on him, you're saved by faith, and then you should be baptized by total immersion. But don't expect to speak in tongues. Don't expect to prophesy. Also, that term prophesy from verse 6 would be probably in reference to singing and praising the Lord. I don't think this group of men went around proclaiming divine truths like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. In fact, I think we were told we're not from Matthew chapter 11, how all the prophets were up until John the Baptist. I think it's Matthew eleven thirteen. So John concludes that Old Testament uh, era of divine revelation, so on and so forth. And then from John chapter 1, it says how the law came by Moses, that's the old covenant, which would cover the law, the prophets, the writings that would uh, cover the ceremonial law, the moral law. But grace and truth, new covenant, came by Jesus Christ. So it's imperative to be in the new covenant. It's imperative to be in the Pauline epistles for today. And it's imperative not to read Matthew, Acts, or Hebrews and try and apply it doctrinally to us living today. If you do so, as somebody once said, you'll break your neck, spiritually speaking. It's dangerous stuff, but I will pick up next week from Acts 19 verse 16 and see what the word of God shows us.